Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, I suspect this might be the fastest pod we've ever recorded because it's, <laughs> it's Sunday morning and apparently you've, you've got to be somewhere if some meaningless charity match or something. I, I believe so. I've, I've, I've not been this nervous since the night before my wedding. Um, it's, uh, yeah, Wem- Wembley fever. I've not eaten, not drunk, been up since four o'clock, yeah. That's football. I think I think you'll be fine, Kieran. If if United play the way they played in Spain the other night, in fact, uh, I noticed on Twitter that Maguire was trending on Thursday, and I thought, oh my god, what's he been up to now? <laughs> <coughs> Has he run off with Tracy? But it turns out, <laughs> I mean, if Harry Maguire starts there, he should be fine, Kieran. I, I should I, I should wish you good luck because annoyingly, you're the sort of person who would wish me luck genuinely if it was the other way round. So I, I, f- I feel I should try and be mature about this and say, well, good luck. I, I do actually hope you win today because I would rather you were disappointed in the final than the <laughs> semi-final. <laughs> but let's let's crack on, Kieran. Let's let's trundle through this as quickly as we can so you can get off to your, your Wembley. Uh, it's questions today, Kieran. One big news story um, concerns Juventus getting their points back for the moment. Yes, Juventus were originally docked 15 points uh, by the Italian football authorities for financial shenanigans, um, <laughs> which, which which mainly related to um, tr- some transfers, which they, they weren't necessarily guilty of. But I think the main issue was in relation to wages. And, and Juventus are a listed company, i.e. their shares are traded on a stock exchange, so therefore they are held to a higher standard than the private companies. Um, and I think this is all to do with the Juventus wage bill. Juventus had effectively said, we are giving our players pay cuts and deferrals, and it didn't quite manifest itself as they'd perhaps uh, in, implied or inferred implied um, from their original statements. Um, and the, 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 the Italian football authorities, it's a bit like many other aspects of life. It's not necessarily the, the football people that catch you out. It's the tax authorities who then mm. pass it on. So um, Juventus have appealed. The Juventus board did resign at the time it, it took place. Uh, they have now appealed. Um, there's going to be a revision. There's going to be a sort of a, a reconfiguration of the panel that made the judgment, and therefore Juventus have now gone from I think eighth to third in uh, in, in the Italian league um, as a result, which has huge implications as far as Champions League qualification is concerned. Yes, you imply, Kieran. I infer. That's how yes. it works. Um, if anybody out there can tell us what the Italian for shenanigans actually is. I'd be much obliged because I've written down here shenanigani, question mark, but I don't think that's going to be right. Uh, Into our questions, and the first one, Kieran, comes from one of our Patreon subscribers, Mark Brotherton. And Mark Brotherton has a question uh, that bugs me, actually, Kieran. It's it's almost nostalgic in a way, but Mark Brotherton says, given the financial pressures being faced by clubs, why do they not offer pay on the day to away supporters for non-high-profile matches? where there will be numerous empty seats. I followed Preston, and recently both QPR and Millwall said there were no sales on the day, despite there being over a 1,000 empty seats in the away ends. I messaged the clubs but didn't get any response, and whilst I had tickets, any fans who decided to travel on the day 
were denied this opportunity. And I think, Kieran, this is one of the most unfortunate things about modern football is that you can't just wake up in the morning and think, sod it, I'm going to go. Because you haven't got a ticket and you can't just bowl up to a turnstile on the day. Yes. Uh, I'm going to give you an interesting response because I spoke to the chief executive of a club in the championship about this a couple of days ago, following Mark's question. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, th- thanks to everybody on Patreon. We are having an end of season quiz for our Patreon subscribers. So, uh, Get get ready. Um, the, the usual the usual lunacy will take place, um, and, and 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 very very small prizes could perhaps be available as well. Um, but what what he said, and I think this was a this was a fair response, is that from the perspective of the home club, they want a degree of certainty in the sense of do they want to open all of the sections of the away. Because if, if, if not, if, yeah, for some clubs, it's not possible at Millwall, but I know it's some other grounds, is that they effectively open the away end block by block. Yeah. And if there is a 1,000 seats available, they might say, well, we can yeah, we can put one of those strange tarpaulins uh, across a few of the seats, which, which are, are deemed to separate the fans, and we could sell more to home fans. There are implications as far as discussions with the police. How many police do you want to attend? That will be determined by the number of tickets sold. There's stewarding issues. There's catering and, and staffing of the catering uh, area for in the away end. So, so these are all cost concerns from the point of view of the home club. Um, and also, you know, we we have moved to a cashless society, uh, so it it might be more difficult if somebody turns up on the day with with physical cash. What he then said was intriguing. And he says, look, if the match is sold out, it's sold out. So, you know, that's a dead rubber. If, however, you know, we're, we're not stupid as a football club. We're all losing money, especially in the championship. If somebody turns up at the ticket office at 1.30 and says, you know, I'm a Preston fan. I know that there's loads of empty tickets, empty seats. Can you sell me a ticket? They said, we probably would. Oh, and the reason okay. for this is that the alternative is that, you know, if, if you have made that decision, especially if you come down from Preston to London on the off chance, you, know, you, know, you might be able to pick up a ticket from somebody on a tra- on the train, for example. You know, I've, I've done that historically yeah, yeah. myself. Um, and he says, you know, what we don't particularly want is that Preston fan saying, well, I really want to see the team today. I'll buy a ticket for the home end because yeah. that's, that potentially could cause uh, a few more ructions. So he says, we are not trying to be completely inflexible, but what we are trying to do is to get a, a feel for the level of interest. And I think Preston's form has picked up recently and therefore they've actually sold a lot more tickets themselves uh, for some of their away matches because, yeah, that, that's, that, that's the nature of football. So... Officially, it's no pay on the day. Unofficially, is a championship club going to say no to an extra 25 or 30 quid, whatever the ticket price is going to be? If they can, they'll do it because, you know, that's, they'll make more money from that one ticket sale than they will from the commission. Or, yeah, that's, yeah, that's eight pints. Huh, so, yeah. so, you know, I think people as at clubs, they're not trying to be awkward. They're not trying to... Uh, make lives more difficult for fans but th- th- they're also saying yeah let's yeah, you know off the record we we can perhaps reach some form of of mutually beneficial uh scenario here so my advice would be if it hasn't sold out go to the ticket office be nice 
because if you're nice, people will be nice to you, and there's a fair chance you'll get a ticket. Uh, we were talking about this yesterday, Kieran, uh, in the Porson's Arms before the Palace game, which is uh, where we all wish we'd stayed, actually, uh, <laughs> uh, before watching Roy Hodgson re- revert to type, or rather the real Roy Hodgson was released from the cupboard under the stairs that he'd been tied up in for the last three weeks. <laughs> Um, what what you need uh, away games, Kieran, is is one of those legendary turnstiles that rumour right. had it existed at every club back in the day. The turnstile that everyone knew was cash only, so you could just <laughs> wander in there and go where you want. Um, but apologies, by the way, we the, the end of season quiz is for patrons uh, only. Uh, you can subscribe just for a month if you want to join in. Uh, the reason it's for patrons only is because when it was open to the public, uh, unfortunately, as many people have found out. Uh, some of the public are numpties um, and uh, try to ruin and disrupt it. So, uh, yes. unfortunately, that's why it's patrons only. Um, and if anybody out there could tell me what the Italian for numpty is as well, I'd be very grateful. Our next question comes from Matt Collins, and it concerns uh, an old banking friend of ours. And Matt Collins says, with the visibility of banks such as Macquarie, is that how we pronounce it, Kieran, Macquarie? Yeah, Macquarie. Yeah, Macquarie. Yeah. Uh, such as Macquarie, discounting money guaranteed to clubs from transfer sales or TV rights. It made me wonder whether clubs use other trade finance products too, especially with cross-border transfers, when the law slash place of jurisdiction of any court case could be disputed. Is the use of trade finance products, letters of credit, demand guarantees, standby letters, etc., to guarantee any future payments owed to the clubs common in football transfers, or is the strength of the protection given by FIFA sufficient for most clubs? Right, this is a, this is a clear, very technical question, but in answer yeah. to Matt's question, um, the football industry is now big business, and therefore the world of financial services has entered football um, with a degree of enthusiasm. If you are talking about multi-million pound deals, the last thing that you want is for somebody to delay payment. So therefore, having... These products, which are, are you know, to many, to a certain extent, a form of insurance product as far as the, the selling club is concerned, um, are now very much part of the, the football landscape. Um, and we, we've seen recently, for example, Sheffield United were given a transfer embargo by the EFL. And I think that embargo took place in, in February. And now the trouble is, you know, Sheffield United weren't particularly bothered because they weren't signing anybody in February because we got the transfer window. Yeah. Um, now, to be fair, that embargo has been lifted in the last 48 hours because I think as a result of Sheffield United generating more money through their cup run, um, and also I believe that they've sort of renegotiated one of the uh, deals that they have um, that uh, the EFL are now satisfied. So so their, their uh, embargo has been lifted because – they want to be able to go to other clubs. Yeah, there's a very high chance that they'll be promoted to the Premier League. They they, they want to be starting to negotiate deals now. And if, if let's say you, you're a club in Italy or Belgium or Spain or even another English club, and Sheffield United got on the phone, look, saying, oh, yeah, we're thinking we'd like to sign player X in June. Well, the first thing they're going to go, oh, well, hold on, you're, you're on the embargo list, put the phone down. So you can see from Sheffield United's perspective why they want to have that uh, particular issue dealt with. But it, whilst there is a degree of protection from both FIFA and UEFA, it's far from perfect. You know, you do see clubs being fined. You do see transfer embargoes. 
on extreme measures, UEFA have even been known to ban clubs from their competition. But that still doesn't get you the cash. So therefore, by having some sort of financial service-based product whereby if the if, if the club buying fails to buy on time, um, then then effectively these insur- they, they are they're financial products, but they're effectively insurance products. They they, they will come into being, and you'll end up being paid. Hmm. <clears throat> Our next question, Kieran, comes from Alan Day, uh, and that's Alan as in A W L E N. So I often wonder if you pronounce that slightly differently, Alan Day. Uh, never mind, the surname is perfect, so never mind about the first name. Um, now we've been asked a lot, Kieran, about whether football clubs get money from electronic games in which they're represented. But I don't think we've ever been asked this question before, which I'm intrigued to hear the answer. And Alan Day says, do clubs or players receive any kind of financial remuneration from the numerous fantasy football and prediction leagues? If they don't, why is that? And where do the joining fees go? And I I presume, Kieran, there's a difference between the, the, the TV ones and just ones that people join for fun. Yes. If we are looking at the use of Premier League intellectual property, i.e. the Premier League logo, its uh, its trademarks and so on, then um, any of these fantasy football games would have to pay a licensing fee. Now, we do have, for example, So Rare, the, um, the fan token or NFT-based uh, people, they are paying an estimated £30 million a year to do uh, be aligned with the Premier League. Um, they're one of the people who who didn't manage to turn up to ah. uh, uh, the the uh, the part of the the, West, the Westminster based uh, discussions <laughs> that, that took place um, earlier this week, where uh, by all accounts uh, some 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 dodgy pill pusher uh, <laughs> was was therefore given free reign to uh, to say. It looks a bit like a Ponzi scheme. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure where I stand in terms of parliamentary privilege here, so I'll 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 sort of hint that I'm broadly in alignment with the comment made by uh, the right honourable gents gentlemen without actually saying, "Yep, <laughs> it is." Um, so if it's if it's an official scheme, um, then that's okay. Now, when it comes, I think, to the use of club names and player names. I don't think you would have to pay a licensing fee, but you, you then don't have the benefit of uh, sort of being able to use the logo and 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 so on. Because if you think about it, you know, you and I can discuss an individual football club. A journalist can write up about um, an individual football club, but it, for, for the sort of the the legitimacy that uh, being the official Premier League fantasy football game or online digital game. Um, you know, if, if we look at the likes of Panini, um, you know, they have to pay licensing fees as well for the stickers. Um, it is all to do with protection of the the Premier League and, and the success that it's generated. The unofficial games, you know, the ones that I do with my mates every year, um, we just get, we just do it on a spreadsheet, which, as you can imagine, gives some of us more pleasure than <laughs> actually playing the game. You even have fun. With spreadsheets, Kieran. Um, our next question comes from Dominic Hansen. I'm not entirely sure, Kieran, whether you've got time to answer this, considering that the game kicks off at four o'clock. And it's about ten past nine now, because it's a it's a very big general question. It's an it's an interesting one, but it's it's mm. a subject of a book, I think, rather than a quick answer. But Dominic says this may be a simple question. It's not, Dominic. It really isn't. Uh, and it may have been answered already. No, it hasn't. Um, but I can't recall it ever being asked directly 
says Dominic, but when and how did the big slash greedy six happen? Back mm. in my early football fan days, the 90s, I'm convinced the disparity between richest and poorest was less stark, even more so further back than that. Clearly, TV money has been a driver, along with a combination of history, luck and good judgment, I assume. And it's clear why certain of the G6 are there. Man United were always dominant as the Premier League exploded. Chelsea and Man City bought their way in. Dominic's words, not ours, by the way. His Twitter address will be available on demand for <laughs> angry Chelsea Man City fans. <laughs> but why are the likes of Arsenal and Spurs in the traditional big six rather than other clubs like Everton, Leeds or Villa? I think this this is a fascinating question. I'm not quite sure it's got anything to do with football finance, but I still, but I, still I just I just love it as a question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, it, it has it has Kira, really because I think the you know the, the the question is really saying is it money? Mm. You know, are, are the richest clubs always going to be the traditional big six, and can you buy your way in? Yes, and I, th- I think that that's fair comment. I, I agree uh, entirely that what what we effectively have is a, a classic historical anomaly, right place at the right time. Because if the Premier League had happened at the start of the eighties then we would have had Forrest, Villa and Everton yeah. in the big six. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, uh, you know, two two of those clubs won the European Cup and Everton were playing fantastic football and they won they won the, the old first division. Um there are a number of issues which have contributed to where we are today. First of all, the decision for home clubs to keep one hundred percent of ticket revenues. This was pre live TV. So this started. This has started the wheels in motion. Then Sky came along, and uh, the, the concept of merit payments, which which you know, have merit, to be perfectly frank, <laughs> um, they they reinforce gaps because if you are a successful club and you are at the top of the Premier League for two or three years. That gives you a financial advantage, which if you use well and you reinvest in, in the market, it, it creates a snowball effect and, and creates gaps. Um, we've then got, again, sort of you know, historically, Sky, well, not, well, not Sky, um, the rise of subscription TV is a huge issue. You and I are both old enough to remember when English football was not something you mentioned when you went overseas. Yeah. Because... Was viewed with contempt, derision, and suspicion. And you know, being an English football fan, um, you know, you, you were portrayed as, as as a hooligan and so on. the The success of the Premier League in marketing itself overseas. Remember, it's distributed to 188 different countries, and clubs are now making more money from the overseas uh, broadcast, but also. Those clubs that happened to be successful at the start of the Premier League, when the explosion in viewing occurred, those were the clubs that overseas fans tended to support. And this isn't a criticism of overseas fans, because I'm sure I would have done exactly the same. But you, know, you support Palace because it represents, you know, it's, it's a geographical relationship. I support Brighton because I've grown up in Brighton. You know, and you know, a fan of Exeter... You don't spontaneously support Exeter or Brighton or Palace. It's because they are local clubs. If we take a look at the overseas markets, the interest in the likes of Liverpool and Manchester United 
Um, and, and Arsenal, because remember at the start of the Premier League, Arsenal were you know regular regular runners. Um, they were clubs which had a, a first of all they had a, sort of a historical uh, attraction. Then they they were in the right place at the right time, and the concentration of fans in terms of relatively few clubs overseas is far greater than it is domestically, um, and, and therefore the clubs have managed to go on to develop commercial relationships because Manchester United have a big fan base in Hong Kong. So therefore, if I am Manchester United's commercial department, I can go to a Hong Kong commercial partner and say, look, you know, we're entitled to four or five times as much as Palace or Brighton or or Burnley or whoever it's going to be because we've got lots of fans. Um, so so there, there's that issue. Um, then we have had the disruptors um, and the disruptors – in the form of Chelsea and Manchester City, who have had ultra high net worth individuals as owners, who have therefore managed to, um, and, and, you know, I don't think it's a case of buying their way, you know, th- th- without the wealth of Abramovich or Mansour, Chelsea and Manchester City would not be part of the big six. Right. Um, we now have Newcastle, who are potentially creating a big seven. Because again, they the the wealth of their owners, which allows them to disrupt, compete in the in the, in the transfer market, um, and, and win trophies. People will attach themselves to success. Um, and Spurs, Spurs is Spurs is a strange one because yeah. they've not won anything, um, and they're always being deemed to be part of the big six. I, I, I think I think you've got to give a huge amount of credit uh, as far as Spurs success is concerned to Harry Kane. Yeah, because without Harry Kane, they wouldn't have qualified for the Champions League with the regularity and and Son as well. Yeah, they 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 recruited some very you know couple of excellent players who have just delivered year after year after year. Um, Spurs, I think, are an, an intriguing one. Um, you know, Daniel Levy was speaking at the Cambridge Union uh, a few days ago and, and extolling the virtues, and people are going, "Well, yeah, okay, Daniel, you, you, as as a business, in in my view." Spurs are the best run business in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, success on the pitch, we're now starting to see fans get a bit angsty. Those those Spurs fans that have tolerated, stroke, endured the the Levy years in the sense that he sees it as a business and sees the benefit of building up the success in order to be competitive. Spurs fans are now reached that stage of saying, "Well, hold on, you know, you've 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 talked the talk. We've bought we." we bought into your ideas, but we're still not winning anything. Mm. A, a couple of things off the back of that, Kieran. First of all, my support for Crystal Palace is uh, moral rather than geographical. I, I looked around for the team that was morally superior to everyone else and discarded any ideas of success because they were just better people. Uh, secondly, I think the suspicion of, of English football fans may come, Kieran, from people abroad looking at the Houses of Parliament TV recently and seeing that the country's leading football finance expert was giving evidence in a Fred Perry. And the thing is, the reason why I think Dominic's question is financial and does belong on his podcast is that Chelsea could finish 11th for the next three seasons and will still be part of the big six, greedy six, if you like. Leicester won the Premier League only seven years ago and will never be considered part of the big six, will they? That's right. Um, I'm fortunate enough to, to teach all over the world. So, yeah, yeah I, I teach in Asia, I teach in Africa, I teach in Europe, I teach in, in, in the States. Um, 
And I do see loads of kids in Chelsea shirts yeah. um, in, in individual geographical markets. Um, why is that? It's it's on the back of success. And therefore, you know, if, if you became interested in, in the Premier League in, in the mid-2000s, then Chelsea were a viable option, as of course were Manchester United and so on. Liverpool's success in, in the 80s, I think, has, has, a, has ensured them because – once you start supporting that club, then you're going to persuade your kids to support that club. And you'll set up a um, – I, I, I do a lot of teaching in Cyprus, for example, and, and there's a huge Liverpool fan base there and there's a huge Arsenal fan base there. But the other big six clubs, less so. And it is intriguing how how these things have, have arisen. But because you will see, oh, you know, who are they all supporting – they're supporting Liverpool. That's a really good uh, pub to go to, and, and and you and you build up the fan bases on, on the back of that. So it, I, th- I think there are geographical issues. That once once you've got your foot in the door, um, then the fan base grows, and therefore, yeah, Manchester United, huge global brand. The same with Liverpool. That's on the back on the back of historical uh, success and glamour as well. Um, and Ma- Manchester United have always been a very glamorous football club. Yeah, I suppose the Arsenal connection as well. I mean, that part of North London has a, a very big Cypriot community, mm. so that it could it could be that way around, couldn't it? That those people are going home and taking their love of Arsenal with them. Michael Saibenga has a question about something you talk about a lot, Kieran, and that's Barcelona's economic levers. And Michael says, um, I have a question about Barcelona's economic levers. I should One of those sentences I should have not read out. Um, <laughs> Michael says, Barcelona have sold off a percentage of their future revenues to raise income now to help ease their debt problems. Do you think we could see Premier League clubs looking to do something similar to allow them to invest? And is it allowed under current Premier League rules? Um, well, Michael, we we do see this. Um, yeah, we've already mentioned Macquarie, but there's also the likes of MSD Holdings and Rights and Media Funding Limited. These are organisations that will give money to football clubs in advance of the clubs generating income. Now, this will normally be secured on transfer deals and Premier League future revenues. Barcelona have done it to a greater extent because Barcelona are able to say, look, you know, we we have the museum, well, you know, not which generates a huge amount of money because it's a Barcelona's stadium is is a is a tourist attraction in its own right. That's not necessarily the case with with some of the other clubs that we see as far as the Premier League is concerned. But Premier League clubs are selling some of their rights, uh, certainly broadcasting rights. Um, if we looked at the problems that existed with Leeds United um, when when things went really badly for them at the start of the century, that was because they'd effectively sold their season ticket income for two or three years in advance um, on the basis that they were going to remain in the Premier League. And when things started to unravel at Leeds, um, th- their, their financial situation was deteriorating very, very quickly. And that's always my concern here. Um, Barcelona are never going to be relegated from La Liga. You know, no matter how bad things are, it's never going to happen. So to a certain extent, they are risk-free. If we take a look at what we have seen, you know, Watford have borrowed these types of monies. 
uh, West Brom have, and you know, we, we 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 know some of the guys from West Brom and, and the challenges that they've had at that club, and there's there's a lot of issues there. We've got Everton who have recently said. Well, in our accounts, we have borrowed money on the basis that we're going to retain in the Premier League. If that's not the case, there there are clauses in contracts which could make things quite squeaky. So that is the risk that attaches uh, itself to the uh, economic levers, which which are effectively saying we want a share of your your future revenues. Now, for a club like Barcelona, those revenues are going to be guaranteed. For a club like West Brom or Watford, and you know, I know Everton fans don't want to hear it, but yeah, Everton, given where they are at present, their participation in the Premier League every season is not 100% certain. And that can mean that these particular deals then become like huge anchors um, should the club be relegated. <clears throat> yeah, the way they played yesterday, it's definitely not 100% certain this season. Um, if only they were playing a better team, we could have taken advantage. Um, I'm looking forward to this question, Kieran. Uh, and you can see it, so you'll know why I'm looking forward to reading out this next question. It comes from Jeffrey Burns. Uh, and Jeffrey says, as a US-based football fan and a fan of professional wrestling, both historic and modern, open brackets, large letters, sock it to a big daddy. Since... <laughs> <laughs> In America, you say, Jeffrey. Um, and then he had, since you're in England, you may get the reference. I started thinking about Tony Khan. And Jeffrey says that Tony Khan is the son of Shahid Khan, who owns Fulham, and is also the majority owner in the wrestling promotion company AEW. Would AEW be able to sponsor Fulham or vice versa? And how would that affect FFP? It's an interesting question, Kieran, from Jeffrey. Um, mm. uh, I, I think for those of you... Uh, listening who don't get the reference big daddy was a wrestler in the back in the days in the 70s when we were young kieran when virtually the only entertainment we had on a saturday afternoon if we weren't at football was watching wrestling from wolverhampton town hall or (laughs) somewhere in croydon uh and big daddy was uh roughly 20 stone used to enter the ring wearing uh a yellow leotard and a top hat for some reason uh and he was a he was a goodie and his arch enemy was Giant Haystacks. Oh, yes. Who was roughly 22 stone and used to enter the ring in these sort of ragged, cut off cat weasel type trousers. I have to explain cat weasel now, but you can <laughs> look that up. Uh, and while Kent Walton, of blessed memory, would commentate on these things, uh, uh, mentioning words like half Nelson, and desperately tried to give the impression that none of it was fixed. Uh, even, even, <laughs> I particularly remember uh, uh, there's a wrestler called Mick Marino who lived across the road from us uh, and uh, Mick McManus visited one day yes. which is very exciting Mick McManus a man who used to enter the ring in the tiniest of budgie smugglers must have been about 58 <laughs> with, his, with, his, with side parting in his receding hairline and this this passed the sport back in our day Kieran but anyway Tony Tony Khan owns a wrestling promotion company. Would they be able to sponsor his dad's football club? Yes, they would, is the simple answer. Although with uh, Fulham putting up season ticket prices to up to £3,000 for a season at the cottage, um, (laughs) will they need it? Um, So Tony Khan would be deemed to be what we refer to in the world of finance as a related party. Um, now, related parties are allowed to uh, to fund and sponsor and provide finance for an organisation, but it has to be disclosed in in the footnotes of the accounts. Um, the the major issue here would be 
would such sponsorship be deemed to be at fair value? And we've got a question on that coming up later yeah. in the show, so I'll, I'll defer to that. But now there's absolutely nothing to stop relatives, uh, friends, friends of friends um, from sponsoring, um, as, as, as we've actually seen at Everton, where uh, Farhad Mashiri's former business partner, Alicia Usmanov, um, was a very generous sponsor of Everton Football Club. and But he didn't have any influence over the club whatsoever. I'd just like to hastily uh, confirm that. Um, and he is no longer attached to Everton because he, he's, he seems to be a bit of a friend with a guy called Vlad. Mm. Yes, uh, Vladimir. Uh, my dad's favourite wrestler, God rest his soul, um, was Kendo Nagasaki. Oh, yeah. Uh, a wrestler who would enter the ring in full samurai gear with his samurai sword being held out in front of him, and who Kent Walton was terrified would one day be unmasked. Oh, no. Uh, and the reason he was terrified he would one day be unmasked, as it turned out there were three Kendo Nagasakis, uh, <laughs> two of whom were from Ipswich, I believe, um, and none of whom had any genuine samurai background at all, which is why, because Kent Walton obviously knew that Three of them were working the different halls each night. It was really how did we fall for that? It's astonishing that we Johnny Quango, who, who I know from, was from Tooting. His backstory was he was <laughs> the son of a tribal chief. It's like we oh, there's the son of a tribal chief. My mum would say, I saw him in Tooting Market. He's got a stall. <laughs> yeah, mum, that doesn't stop him being the son of a tribal chief. He could he could have a stall in Tooting Market and be. Oh, oh, dear. Harry Furnival Duran has our next question. That's a cracking name, Harry. Uh, and I apologise if it's Harry Furnival Doran. Uh, I really Harry Furnival Duran makes it sound like a Sherlock Holmes character, a sort of chap who's about to be married, but there's a mystery in his house. So I'm, I'm really, it's because you've got me up early, Kieran. My head's not working properly today because <laughs> you've got me up early so you can go to the FA Cup semi final, which I'm, I'm delaying you from by musing on Sherlock Holmes and wrestling. Uh, Harry says, I was hoping Kieran may be able to provide some insight on what tangible powers the spirit of Shankly representative will likely possess in the influential position they've been granted by the club. And again, like Dominic's question, Kieran, I, th I think this is a financial question mm, yeah. at, at heart, and I'm, I'm happy to ask it. Although, again, it's possibly a long answer. As a red, says Harry, I'm immensely proud of the spirit of Shankly, and I respect the club for making a statement by granting them this position. However, the natural cynic in me questions if this is lip service by the club and if it was done to try to claim back some respect lost through the Super League drama. What do you mean? think this means for the club going forward and how can you see the input of the spirit of Shankly actually actualising? Are there any negative aspects to consider in a business sense as this input could be considered to be more emotional than logical? Okay. Um, I've uh, I've hosted an LGBT conference yeah. uh, where Spirit of Shankly uh, were were represented, and and they were absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, the work that they do is to uh, a, we is, should explain to us, but they're they're a fan group, aren't they? It's they're, they're a fan group. Yeah. yeah. They were they were they were formed in two thousand and eight. Yeah. And um, I think it's fair to say that they are activist in yeah. nature. Yeah, they, yeah. they 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 try to represent what they consider to be uh, the values of Bill Shankly, which are the values which I think most football fans, well, I certainly think, yeah. think are, are th things I'd like to, to nail the mass to. Um, and they they've been involved in disputes um, with the club, uh, with police, policing, stewarding. 
Um, they were very vocal, and this, this is a story we did cover a few years ago, when Liverpool Football Club tried to trademark the word Liverpool. Yeah. And, 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 and I was really impressed by the spirit of Shankly to say, look, we love Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, we are absolutely devoted. But there are more things to Liverpool than just the football club, you know, and, and it's it's not fair on the history and the heritage and and all, all of the good things that that have come out of that city. And, and as you know, I've I, I've worked there for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. You know, people say, why do I work in Liverpool when I live in Brighton? It's because I love working there. It's yeah. it's it's there. There are fantastic people there. Um, so they are there to act as an interface uh, to to help help represent fans but also to help the club because yeah any any organization which ignores the people who are turning in yeah week week in week out is 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 foolhardy um harry says is is there a potential downside well first of all the spirit of shankly are not getting involved in operational decisions so yeah transfer strategy who the manager is so on yeah that's that's not their their remit They're, they're they like you and i they'll have a moan after a match um, you know, we will say, you know, given our relatively uh, sketchy knowledge of the science of football, that we could probably do a better job. And deep down, we know that we can't. So Spirit of Shanky don't get involved in that. But I, I think that they, they all, uh, one of the things to do, like about them is that they represent fans from Liverpool. Yeah, you know, we, we said before that Liverpool is a global fan base. Um, you know, some fans from, of Liverpool from elsewhere might not have that sort of that deep vein of what the club represents to the city. They support Liverpool. They love. I'm not saying they don't love Liverpool as much as uh, Spirit of Shankly fans or local fans, but but there is a difference in terms of culture. I think uh, the Spirit of Shankly do represent um, the local fan base, and therefore on issues such as when Liverpool tried to stick up ticket prices for the the expanded uh, main stand uh, a couple of years ago. Spirit of Shankly, they made it very clear that this was being unfair. It, Liverpool is not a wealthy city. It has people of wealth within it, but it is not itself a wealthy city. And, and that's where they they said, you know, you're trying to hear just to, to, to fleece the tourist fans, um, but you're also, what you're doing is not fair to local fans as well. So I think they do an absolutely good job. Is there a downside? Um, there's the, the potential downside is an animal farm one, i.e. you get cosy relationships between uh, the representatives and the football club. That ain't going to happen with the people from Spirit of Shanghai, yeah, I can assure yeah. you. Yeah, I, I've, 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 I've heard them speak. I've, I've, I've followed their website. I follow their, their Twitter feed and, and so on. Um, and, and as I did have that, uh, yeah, when, when I was hosting this, uh, this, this issue of LGBT in, in Liverpool and football, they were absolutely brilliant. As to be fair, was everybody else who, who was uh, representing. Yeah, I, I think we should clarify, Kieran, for those people who don't know Liverpool football uh, as well as you do, that the Spirit of Shanghai have now been asked... Uh, uh, to take up a sort of semi-official role at the club, haven't they? Yes, but you know, many many fan groups, uh, you know, many clubs are now sort of having sort of fan advisory boards. Yeah. Um, and I think Spirit of Shankly will be representing the views of Liverpool fans as far as the club is concerned. Yeah, we should get them on. Yeah, I, I had um, <clears throat> for reasons that escape me now, as as, as you'll understand when I tell you. I, I, I ended up having a drink with a couple of them in a pub near Euston Station last year. Uh, that was met. I'd never met them before. Uh, we just uh, bumped into each other and uh, meant to be a quick drink while they waited for their train. 
which I think they may have got the next day. Um, but it was a it was a it was a cracking afternoon. They were really, really sound working class Liverpudlians who gave me a lot of insight because I don't know the city nearly as well as you do, Kieran. But um, there's certainly a credit to their to their club and their town. Our final question, Kieran, is I can hear you zipping bags up and doing your buttons up <laughs> uh, to, to put in the key in a lot. Is the Baroness is the Baroness going with you, Kieran? She certainly is. Oh, of course, good. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the oh, the Baroness will be having breakfast? I imagine somewhere. Uh, our final question comes from Paul Nash, and Paul Nash says, "I think Kieran said that all sponsorship deals in the Premier League of more than one million pound have to be checked for fair value. What then is to stop a club from selling hundreds of different sponsorship deals for nine hundred ninety nine thousand pound each?" Um, nothing is the ah. the simple uh, issue. However. This rule of £1 million um, was brought into existence purely coincidentally a few days after the Saudi Arabian PIF acquired Newcastle United football. Oh, you intrigue me. And uh, the reason why it was done, well, we, we don't know. Uh, but I think you it, it won't be beyond the realms of imagination the concern was that Newcastle United might then announce a huge deal with you know, Aramco or Saudi Arabian Airlines, um, which would boost Newcastle's commercial revenue from the around about twenty-five million pounds. Because um, during the you know, was it fourteen years of, of ownership of Mike Ashley uh, of Newcastle, uh, the club's commercial income didn't rise. In mm. fact, it was probably slightly down. Mike Ashley was quite a toxic brand as far as the Newcastle brand was concerned. So, so that uh, organisations didn't align themselves with Newcastle because they feared that there would be fan boot boycotts and uh, you know hostility towards the organisation. Um, so, th- there is a huge growth potential uh, as far as Newcastle's commercial deals are concerned. What other clubs in the Premier League? were concerned about and what they feared was that Newcastle coming in and say, right, we've just signed a £50 million a year deal with Aramco or another big Saudi organisation, and that would allow Newcastle to be competitive or more competitive with, going back to an earlier question, the big six. Um, so, So this rule was brought in to try to prevent that. Could you therefore have um, 100 deals or 200 deals at 999,000? So, Because the rule is any deal worth over a million pounds has to go before a fair value panel. Now, who could, who sits on a fair value panel? Nobody's quite certain. But the aim is to try to say that, well, if this deal does come in, would we normally expect that level of money from uh, a club such as Newcastle? If not, for, fa- for financial fair play purposes, you've received 50. We're only going to allow you 10. Could, could you therefore try to game the system by saying, all deals of under under one million will have you know, hundreds and hundreds of them. Yes, you could. What will happen, however, is that at the next meeting of Premier League chief executives, they will say, uh, we've had a rethink and now every deal over half a million pounds right. has to go before right. the fair value panel. Um, and we're going to do that retrospectively. Um, for financial fair play purposes, you can still physically receive the cash. So... I think there will be a bit of uh, you know, a bit a bit of gamesmanship as far as this would be concerned. 
as you say, Kieran, we don't know who sits on that fair value panel, but my guess is that none of them will be wearing Fred Perry's. Um, I've taken so much <laughs> stick. <laughs> It's the House of Pipes. It's, 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 you know, people will have you believe, Kieran, that's the centre of parliamentary democracy in the world. It's where it all started. And you bowl up there looking like you're on the way to... Oh, God, I don't know. I was, gonna, I was trying to think of a modern mod band then, but I've forgotten the name of the one from Nottingham. <laughs> Sleet and Mods. Is that right? No. no. Sleet, sleep and Mods? Oh, God, Sleep and Mods are brilliant. I know they are, Kieran. You've told I've me. I've seen them loads of times. But they're not mods. They're I know not, they're not. not I know they're very much. I've, I've seen someone there too. It's very much not in the mod. Uh, yeah, quite right. Uh, I, I would go and see them, Kieran. I haven't got the energy you have. I don't know where you get it from. Um, if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind of you to go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, we'll be back on Monday with our news pod. I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary – no, we're back on Thursday. This is Monday's. Yes. <laughs> I told you. I had to, I had to, I had to. See, this is, quite, this, is, this is what happens when I get up at half eight in the morning, Kieran. I shall hand you over to Mr. Gary Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, I, I'm I'm going to give an exclusive reveal from 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 the workings of that Westminster area. I was the only person that rocked up in a Fred Perry <laughs> and blue suede shoes. Um, has, has to be added to, to that. Um, and I, absolutely, all of the MPs were were wearing uh, you know, a, a jacket and tie and uh, you know. Proper, proper Oxford shirt. Um, and then one of them stood up and he was wearing jeans. No. Yeah. No. Well. Absolutely. Absolutely. On that, this, this. On that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, on that bombshell. We'll see you on Thursday. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck, Kieran. I generally Thank mean you. that today. Good luck today. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the